Hello, and welcome to Casually Obsessed, a podcast about obsession-worthy pop culture. I'm your host, Chelsea Bergen, and each episode I'm joined by a guest to talk about a piece of content we can't stop thinking about. If you like the show, please subscribe and share it with your friends. For show notes, transcripts, and more info about the show, you can visit casuallyobsessedpodcast.com. You can also find the show on Instagram at casuallyobsessedpodcast. As a quick note, we recorded this conversation before the last two episodes of Dickinson Season 2 aired, so that won't be reflected in our conversation. Okay, now that we've got that out of the way, let's start the show. Okay, are you up to date? Are you current on the show or how much I, have you seen? Yes. Okay. Because the most the most recent one, uh I'm trying to think, was there was the spa one and then there was one after that, right? Um, the most recent one is after the she's published and she's invisible. Right, and she's invisible. Yeah, yeah, yeah I watched yes. that one. Except invisible to everyone except Austin. <laughs> <laughs> and nobody. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, which is sort of a cry. I feel like, yeah, that's correct. <laughs> <laughs> Two individuals of little consequence. <laughs> uh, that, yeah, I mean, whatever. No spoilers, but like the last scene of the Invisible episode was just uh, ruinous. Ruined my life. Yeah, it was so much. Um, oh, um what's your relationship with emily dickinson yeah um it's pretty funny uh it's i don't even know how i started watching the show because if you had asked me before i did i would have been like i hate emily dickinson she sucks her poetry is boring <laughs> and uh i was so wrong i was like so wrong about that i was, like i can't believe how wrong i was and i think it is in part because like it's a context thing, right? The way that you're introduced to it in school is like, yeah, there's like M dashes and like B's and stuff. And it's like, yeah, she was a hermit. And I'm like, I'm not a hermit. And then I started watching the show and it was like, no, she's a goth. She's a, a writer goth. And I was like, oh, that's me. That's just me. <laughs> what about death? Why didn't you tell me your post about death? <laughs> so yeah, until recently I had zero relationship to Emily Dickinson. <laughs> Uh, I'm I'm the same I the things I knew about Emily Dickinson despite like attending a university with a Emily Dickinson hall and like very close to the Dickinson home which I never went to and I'm like well I missed out um I was like okay shut in <laughs> mm -hmm. and I had a friend who named her cocker spaniel hope because her hair was feathered <laughs> Yeah, I think that's actually kind of a good like she has become like sort of memeified in the culture, you know, yeah, where, you know, like two lines and they're so divorced from context and they're just so often repeated that like um, it just doesn't it feels totally empty. It feels cliched at this point. And I'm, I'm sure we'll get into this more. But I think that one of the things the show does just so remarkably is like make take it out of the context of cliche and make it feel like really resonant in a way that's just like, oh, my God, I can't believe that I missed this before. Yeah, the show, it does kind of an interesting like the way it incorporates uh, her poetry is often very literal or if not 100 percent literal, like it's often um, like it's a poem about a bee and then like there is a bee on the screen, <laughs> um, which I have heard, I guess, mixed things about in terms of how people sort of feel about that approach. I'm curious what you what your thoughts are on that i mean i gotta say in specifically about the bee like i give the bee a pass because it's like it's not just like there's like a little bee flying around you know pollinating a flower <laughs> it's like a human-sized bee at an opium party <laughs> like you know that i think uh, gives because i can i can totally see that criticism right of like it's not that literal like i think you and i both know as writers it's not like you see a bee and you write a poem about a bee right <laughs> but like I think she does. I think that they do a good job of like, if there's going to be a literal B on screen, it's like part of a, you know, drug hallucination. Yeah. And it's like, 
movie that speaks English and it like it brings a lot of the weirdness back into it yeah I don't know I think it's I really this is a little bit the way I feel about this whole show is just like I'm like I totally see why it doesn't work for everyone it's one of those things that just like speaks my language in a way where I'm like I don't know whether or not this is like a fruitful creative decision in the abstract but like for me it's just is so I'm just like yeah I love it um and I think it is also, I mean, so I'm not a poet, like, uh, I just don't, I write a lot of things, but poetry is not one of them. Um, and I think that I often like need a, a little bit more of a handhold to get into poetry. And so I appreciate the handhold. I'm like, yes, um, you know, put death in a care, like make death a character in the show, make the bee a character in the show. Um, you know, show me exactly where this is coming from. And, and I think also, actually, you know, what? it's also, it's not just you know, that kind of literal symbolism, but it's also like they put it in a narrative context. And as someone who like really does much better with narrative than with sort of like um, just poetic symbolism, it really, so that really works for me. I'm like, th- it makes so much more sense to me when I'm like, oh, as part of a story, now I see why like this image is important or resonant and it just gives me so much more. So yeah, I like it for me, but again, I- I'm a demi who doesn't read poetry. So I understand why people who do read poetry <laughs> might be like, well, <laughs> it's not, that's not how we do this. <laughs> Yeah, I think I think there are some for me there are some points where it works better than others. I think um that I would also agree that uh the giant bee is an instance where it works very well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um I think also because it like adds to the weirdness of the show, which is one of the things that I really love about it. Like it's just so fucking weird in a very yes. like unapologetic way um and i feel like weird things so often don't either don't last or like don't get to like actually be weird in the way i want them to be you know so it's it's funny actually um i was my friend and i were watching a cartoon last night called bee and puppy the adventures of bee and puppy dog um and it's super delightful highly recommend it's like a cartoon um, series of little cartoon shorts about a girl and her um, puppy cat puppy cat I think I said puppy dog um, a girl and her puppy cat and the, they like do temp jobs in space um, <laughs> it's so delightful and it's sort of similar in terms of like it has an internal sort of like logic and grammar to it but it's very singular and very like individualized and it's like there's the product of someone's like extremely weird mind but ha- but it has like it's very weird, but it has real like internal creative coherence, and I feel the same way about Dickinson. Um, and yeah, exactly. Like I just love it. I just love how strange it is, um, and how but not just strange for the sake of being strange, right? It is like working to express a particular, you know, to give you sort of a way into a particular kind of strangeness. Mm. And especially in terms of Emily Dickinson, it's been in that case, like very, very flattened right into this sort of cliched, you know, all American poet. They're like, no, this is incredibly weird. Um, And that's, I think that's to me, like, I really think of the show as being an effort of translation, Mm. um, you know, in terms of her poetic language. And then also right in terms of sort of the way that it plays with, um, and like anachronistic elements right that it's like trying to just like find a non-literal way to make you understand something so yeah i don't know that that works for me i will say that in the second like in the first season i like all the yeah the weirdness i do think in the second season there's a lot of instances where people literally say something to her that's like a line of a poem and that i'm a little bit like okay well that's a little on the nose for me (laughs) (laughs) so much Um, so I was definitely into the show from the beginning, but one of the, I think the episode where I like really, um, clicked for me or where I was really became like deeply committed is in the opium party episode. Mm. Um, that was my favorite on first watch. That was my favorite episode. A hundred percent for sure. It's so good. I feel like it really like brings all of the things that the show has to offer together in terms of the anachronism and the weirdness and the joyfulness and this like bizarre cast of characters like it it um it felt very much like a a sampling of all the best things that dickinson has to offer for me 
Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I think the joyfulness is like really the thing like that sets it apart. Right. Yeah. Because like, there's a lot of stuff that's sort of like, you know, um, it's been very funny to me. People talk, they're like, Oh my God, Bridgerton has like a string quartet playing Ariana Grande. And I'm like, bitch, watch Dickinson. (laughs) (laughs) Dickinson has queer sex. Yeah. (laughs) You know, this like, you know, whatever Penelope is like, it's not going to happen. It's romance novels. Anyway. Um, which is actually yeah, like when I, while I watched Bridgerton, yeah. I was like, but actually I just wish that I was watching Dickinson. And then the second season came out and gave me that ability to do, to watch yeah, that Yeah, basically same. I was sort of like, I was like, I'm watching Bridgerton until the second season of Dickinson comes out. And like, <laughs> then I'm going to be where I actually want to be with this. But like, exactly. But I, so there's like ways to sort of use these things as like, sty- you know, cute stylistic elements. Um but I think like there's a much deeper, sorry, Bridgerton, but I think there's a much deeper artistic intent and like understanding with Dickinson. But I also, but I think also there's just this level of joyfulness and playfulness, right? Um, yeah, where it's it's just like, and you feel, you know, yeah, you're like, oh, these are people in their early 20s. Like they're part, they're having their version of the early 20s party that like I also went to. <laughs> um, and and you just feel in this yeah, I don't know, brings it to life or bring brought it to life for me in the same way that like it brings Emily Dickinson's poetry to life. You're like, oh, this is so human. <laughs> like, yeah, this is about like death and fucking. Truly, which like if that's how we were all introduced to Emily Dickinson, I feel like we would have been fans much earlier on. <laughs> oh, much earlier on. Okay. So I also realized, um, that for me like dickinson fits into this uh have you ever read the um oh my god lucy maud montgomery who wrote anne of green gables yeah lucy maud montgomery um she has a series of books the emily of new moon series have you read them no oh my god okay so like i just when you're like oh that's when you fell in love like I fell in love with Dickinson right away because they've been primed by the emily of new moon books which are about like <laughs> like a an orphan as all of her books are um who goes to live with family on um you know prince edward island and but emily unlike anne is dark-haired pale-skinned and a writer and a very intense writer and whose family doesn't want her to write right they're like that's your scribbling it's wasting time like don't ever do that but she has to and so she um saves up candle stubs and wakes up in the middle of the night to write her poems um and it was just to me, when I was like younger, that was the image of the writer I wanted to be, right? Was someone moved by the spirit, scribbling in the middle of the night. And like very early on, I think in like the first episode of Dickinson, she kind of does the same thing. Um, and I, that was the moment when I was like, oh, this is about weird goth girls who just want to write their feelings. <laughs> so I was fully hooked from that standpoint. And then it expands, but then. I think you could, you can write a book about that girl who's like too weird and too cool, you know? Um, And the thing that I love so much is that it puts her in a social context and like she is, you know, um, has friends and has lovers and like, you know, wants to be loved, um, wants to experience joy, wants to fucking do some opium. (laughs) (laughs) Like, you know, it's like the writer weirdo. It's very real about the writer weirdo and also very real about how the writer weirdo like also wants to have fun sometimes. Yeah. And she actually gets to be a young woman. Like mm. she both I think the show strikes a really nice balance between her writing this incredible poetry and having these deep thoughts and striking experiences and also like making bad choices and like saying dumb shit. Um in right. Re- and the incredible self-importance of being like a 19-year-old girl who's like, I've got to write. I'm like, I'm a genius. I have to do my genius work. And it's like, <laughs> you actually, but it's also hilarious when you say that. Uh, and like the entire world is like infringing on her. Yeah. <laughs> uh, right? It's so, but it's so good. Yeah. And I think exactly. Yeah. She's just like, yeah, she's trying to figure out how to be a person. I mean, I... I'm sure we'll get to this, but like, yeah, all this stuff about her trying to figure out what it means to be a writer versus what it means to be a public, like an author in public has been just straight, straight to the heart for me. (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, yeah, that was something that like in the first season of the show was like there to some degree, but in the second season, like that's very much what it is about. Uh, and the, her kind of obsession with fame in this push and pull between like she wants everyone to know her and know her work and also anytime anyone looks at her she's sort of like actually don't look at me um which i deeply relate to uh, <laughs> yeah yeah obviously <laughs> yeah and i yeah and i think um i don't know it's it's wild but i oh that's not what i was gonna say um I do think that like writers are really interesting because I think I think a lot of us are kind of edge cases in this way where it's like perceive me, don't perceive me like or like perceive me, but only in the sort of like way that I present myself to you. Right. Like I want to be the voice inside your mind. I want to tell you how to think I'm going to like write and edit and show you this like one side of me. And like I want you to really be excited about that. But you can't see me as a human being because that's embarrassing. <laughs> And like raw and not you know put together i act like my skin crawled hearing you describe that because i was like i uh this is too much <laughs> <laughs> too accurate right i mean I, listen i've had a lot of time to think about it as i like both sort of you know by turns indulge my extreme desire to be recognized and you know to like have everyone read my writing and also the part of me that's like don't look at me <laughs> god what's wrong with you <laughs> Yeah, and I but I think it's something that like I think it's something writers talk to each other about. Um and I guess this is this is like the really historical part, right? Was this was a moment when like being a writer meant being a, a much more recognizable public figure yeah. <laughs> than it does now. <laughs> but so I appreciate, yeah, just like talking a you know, something taking a really serious look at like how you do that. And then also like the much deeper question of like how do you create this sort of like tough shell that having a public persona requires and like yet maintain the ability to do vulnerable creative work. Um, if anyone knows, <laughs> hit me up in the comments. Um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I feel like that's not something that gets, you know, especially like a doesn't generally get sustained consideration, but especially not in the life of a young woman, right? Like a young woman whose major drama is like, how do I, balance my desire to make art with my desire to have that art be recognized just like what is that what how do we get that that's such a gift yeah and the show like i mean it's it's emily's show um but it really it is really focused on that female experience in a lot of ways like the what is the one interaction we have with the male writer um Oh my god, is um the Thoreau. Thoreau. Um that was also like I was already in love at that point, and then John Mulaney playing that like playing Thoreau, I've lost my shit. <laughs> <laughs> it's like this is for me. Yeah. Um and so he's like completely sent up in that episode. Oh um, yeah. None of the like Everyone on this show is like humorous by turns, but really like the men are often the butt of the joke, I feel like. Um, oh yeah. Which is satisfying. <laughs> <laughs> it's so sad. No, I think it's really true. And I think that like, I mean, I gotta say, Jane Krakowski, shockingly perfect casting. Um, yeah. as the mother, and I because I she's very, very funny, but there is like real pathos to her character. Um you know, especially in the second season, but I think you see it even in the first. Um, I, I mean, you know, everything that happens with um, Sue is heartbreaking. And I, I mean, the show does, I think, just incredible things with um, what's Emily's sister's name? Lavinia. Oh, Lavinia. Thank you. All I can think was the actress's name. Um, <laughs> like Lavinia actually might be my favorite character on the show. But yeah, then it's like her dad is just like a sort of sad failure. I mean, not a failure, but like. Yeah, I don't know, it's like lost all this money. Austin is just like a non-starter. <laughs> <laughs> so cute. I have such a crush on the actor who plays Austin, but like such a non-starter of a human being as a character. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, yeah. Lavinia is the greatest. Uh, 
a particularly like she was excellent in the first season but in the second season she just like continues to get better um <laughs> yeah I, I do feel like it's one of those things where they sort of like wrote a character and like saw the i like the more they saw the actress doing the more they were like oh we're gonna give you more do because you can do it yeah oh now i'm just thinking about her yeah. doing the spider dance <laughs> oh my god I'm <laughs> But I actually, like, I really love it because I also do think that, like, often in media like this, again, when it's sort of like, if it is about a serious writer girl, often there is, they contrast her with the, like, dumb, flighty sister who only cares about boys. Um, and as a serious writer girl who also cares too much about boys, <laughs> I've always felt a little maligned by this portrayal as if it was, like, you had to be two different things. And I, lo- I just love that it's, like, Lavinia is never... Like, they're a little bit, she's, she's only as much the joke as Emily is, right? Like, yeah. Um, like, they really take her seriously and give her stuff to do and, like, make her seem like a human being whose desires are real. And, like, I just love it. Um, and the spider dance is, oh, my God. God bless. God bless. <laughs> God bless the writers. God bless her portrayal of it. Oh, yeah. Anna Baryshnikov really doing it. Yeah um from now on when when covid uh when covid ends and i can leave rooms with other people in them again (laughs) just spider dance my way out (laughs) um to your point about lavinia not just being the kind of vapid sister um i feel like her but really like everyone on the show is treated really lovingly um no one is i don't know like there's i think it would be very easy to make emily's dad either a villain or the who's sort of like stopping her from you know pursuing writing or making him the bumbling incompetent dad that exists so much in media um mm-hmm. and even like austin as you said is like kind of an idiot um but also he like cares about people and he's trying in his way like the the show i feel like manages to let people be flawed and make fun of them for those flaws at times but also it never feels unkind to me yes i think that's exactly like it never feels unkind and my favorite thing that austin does and i think a really perfect portrayal of this is the way that like um in the second season the um i guess they're servants the black characters on the show like i think are servants not slaves in the dickinson house yeah um and they run right like a like a a black run newspaper out of like the barn and Austin knows about it. And I think he like buys them a printing press at one point. And so it's like, clearly he's like putting his money where his mouth is and like trying to support, you know, like people's right to self-expression and whatever. But there's also this incredible where like every time they call him like Mr. Dickinson, he's like, call me Austin. And they're just like, I can't do that, buddy. (laughs) It's such a white person. Like, well, I don't care if you're black. It's like, great. That's wonderful. The world does though. (laughs) like that's not the gesture and it's a it's a perfect though it's like it's not like the show is totally undercutting him and being like oh he's a secret racist it's like here's a very flawed white man like try some trying and here's a way he succeeds and here's a way he fails to like be supportive of of you know the cause of of freedom because it's pre yeah it's pre-civil war yeah um yeah i think season three is is the civil is going to be a civil war season yeah it's also it's just wild right the like parallels uh between what's happening in pre-civil war america and 2021 america truly very upsetting and so part of me is like so when when dickinson does its civil war season does that mean i'm gonna be in my civil war season because i don't want it (laughs) I think probably not but yeah um oh. that was also my favorite thing about the spa episode was just like like we're going to the spa we're taking the waters like we're doing our horoscopes <laughs> me too emily dickinson me too <laughs> <laughs> yeah 
Yeah, I, I don't know if I ever would have expected an Emily Dickinson like goop crossover, but that episode really <laughs> did it. That's exactly <laughs> what it is. Oh my god. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's just so funny. I don't know. It's so funny. It's so joyful. It's so kind. Like, it's so weird. It's just such a particular cross section of things. And I just sometimes can't believe it exists. I'm like, I, I can't believe it exists. And I can't believe that more people than just me watch it because it feels so tailor made for me. I'm like, it's <laughs> wild that other people like love this too. <laughs> like the fucking center of my heart. I mean, I think it's one of those, like, the more specific you can be, like, the more you, you know, find a thing finds its people, I guess, is right? sort of how it feels to me. And also, I do think that it is like there's so much media that's sort of yeah made to appeal to like a broad demographic, um, and it just sort of feels it doesn't feel personal at all. It's like all right, this is fine, but it's not like there's no point of view here. I think it's the way people often express it, um, and this just like has a point of view. And I think that's like whether or not I always love some of the stylistic flourishes, I appreciate something that just like takes chances um, and isn't afraid to like do something, try something and fail. You know, it feels a little riskier, I think, um, than a lot of the stuff that I watch. And I love that. Like, truly, when I watched the first season of Dickinson, I feel like I had been in a little bit of a creative slump. And I was sort of like, oh, this is what I want things I make to feel like this. Um, you know, this weird, this vibrant, this just like, all right, we're doing it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I just like so many things are so bland and I just like cannot do it anymore yeah exactly there's so much like sort of you know Netflix and it's funny that it is like a because I think um <laughs> saying three sentences at once uh I think this represents the promise of what streamers can do right in terms of like making something pretty weird pretty specific pretty niche in its way um and it's sort of the polar opposite of the way that like netflix has been just churning out you know magnolia lane um you know sort of middle brow and like i don't whatever i love middle brow shit but like <laughs> but you know what i mean it's just they're like yeah. oh people are into like more christmas movies like let's just make a hundred million of them with zero interest in the quality or like yeah of yeah quality or, or sort of like emotional whatever of them um yeah, they're, just, they're like, oh, we can just, like, mass produce the same, like, not very good thing in slightly different wrappings and people will watch it. Yeah. Right? That's, like, the peril of streamers. And then the promise is sort of like, but you but you could make Dickinson! <laughs> <laughs> Why aren't we all making our own Dickinson? <laughs> yeah, I feel like so many things, particularly on Netflix, at this point feel like they were written by an algorithm. Yeah, totally. And... When I'm consuming something middle brow, I at least want it to feel like someone really poured themselves into their middle brow content, not like did a Mad Lib, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> right, or like came up with a concept and then let the AI, right, was sort of like, oh, that's a cute concept. And then we'll just like let the AI like, you know, yeah, write out the script. And it's just like, why? Like, um yeah, there's just no, there's no there there. It's like there's, there's nothing more to this than the description, you know, that it's sort of like log line. Whereas yeah. I feel like the log line of Dickinson just like wildly fails to capture all of the intense and brilliant weirdness of it, right? There's no way to like sum up that show. And that's a good thing. Yeah. Um, and it's not something you can watch super passively, which like, don't get me wrong. Like I watch passively, you know, uh, I've been watching MTV's The Challenge. Uh <laughs> which requires like two and a half neurons um but you know it's i don't know it's just nice to like see something that's it's like creatively ambitious um it's creatively ambitious without being pretentious yes and that is like really a sweet spot for me <laughs> that's just like gets me every time yeah it's um and it is kind of like a is not maybe what i would have expected out of uh apple plus um but i still can't believe that like this is i mean as it happens i bought a new laptop so like i have a year of apple plus and i was like oh great now i can watch dickinson like what <laughs> um 
Yeah, well, I mean, I think the thing that, like, Apple has going for it is that, like, they don't actually need to make money from, like, TV as long as you're you using... another revenue stream. <laughs> yeah, like, as long as you're using an Apple device to, like, consume the thing, that's, like, I think they're doing fine. Um, right, it's a side quest for them. Yeah, which, in theory definitely opens up space for more weird things like this um i have not watched any of the other shows on there i know some people like the morning show that's the other one that they have on there right and then um, they have Ted lasso ah yes i haven't watched that i have I like I'm afraid to say this I had literally haven't said this to anyone because everyone I know loves it so much and I'm like I mean I never want to get people's yums and especially in this time when like it's very hard to enjoy things I'm like I'm so happy I don't I don't, I don't like it <laughs> um, I just don't like it I just I did not like it I just was like I feel totally neutral about this um but I actually think it is interesting that I do feel like the two of the more beloved there's a lot of a lot of widely watched stuff during the pandemic but two of the most beloved pieces of content i feel like have been ted lasso and dickinson um i don't know that they are you maybe like and i I mean you know i'm sure there's a ton of stuff on there that like isn't just just isn't very good and isn't getting any recognition um you know but it's like oh everyone's watching which who did um emily in paris was that netflix yes yeah yeah um, which I didn't watch, but I just, anyway, I feel like you compare sort of like Netflix's most, you know, everyone's like watching Emily. Everyone's like, oh, it's not good, but I'm watching it because you can watch it as background noise versus something like Ted Lasso, which people are just absolutely rabid about. Um, or Dickinson. And I don't know, not just I, the idea that I'm like praising Apple, like as a creative force is <laughs> oh, really bespeaks a bad place that we're in. <laughs> Um, you know, they're all streaming giants. They only care about the bottom line. Yeah. Um, but however it happened, it's interesting to me that um, that Apple TV has put out, I think, two of the more interesting original shows that have come out in the last year or so. Yeah. I heard Elena Smith, the creator of the show, talk about kind of how the show came to be and that it was something that she had been sort of toiling away on for a while um but was had not actually like shopped it anywhere and then apple was the only place that she like actually pitched it and they Mm -hmm. bought it right away um which is interesting although i can't really i don't know where else i would put this show like i feel like i don't know who else would make it i'm glad that apple did um but that one of the other sort of Emily Dickinson concepts that she had was a show wherein Emily Dickinson was a serial killer. (laughs) (laughs) And like the show started with her, like murdering some guy who took credit for another woman's work. Oh my God. (laughs) And I was like, I would also like to see that show. I, it's, and it's funny because I gotta say, if you had told, if I had never seen Dickinson and you told me that premise, I would have been like, "That's fucking dreck. Like that's so cheap. Like who gives a fuck about Emily Dickinson? Why are you like using the most boring woman in poetry as like a serial killer? Right? It's just like a mashup of like true crime. And like I just, I can like feel how mad I would have been about that concept if I didn't understand her work. And now I'm like, uh, I'm like, I would watch the show from literally no one else. But Elena Smith has earned my loyalty, and I will watch basically whatever she does with or without Emily Dickinson. <laughs> like yeah 100 percent maker serial killer like would watch also i gotta say and this is almost as big a surprise Haley steinfeld would watch her do almost anything yeah she's so good yeah she's she's really good in this right now that she was i mean she was great in um uh was the western that she like debuted in true grit true grit she was great in true grit but it was a long time ago and since then she's like released a lot of very mediocre pop singles you know i just forgot yeah um and then I watched it and I was like, oh, my God, I yeah, you're really selling this for me. Uh, I really love when actors are like in a thing and you're like, oh, they're never going to do anything. And then they're in something else that's just like, phenom- they're just phenomenal in it. Yeah. 
um yeah you're just like oh like you're actually <laughs> yeah you're really good <laughs> I, was talking, I was talking about shailene woodley with someone the other day and because they had watched uh secret life of the american teenager they were like talking about that show and i was like man no one who watched that show was like you know what i think <laughs> shailene woodley really gonna blow up as a serious actor <laughs> <laughs> And yet, and is she? I'm like, what is she in? But I think of her. She's in um, Divergent. That's really what I think of yeah, her. Yeah, she did like some indies and stuff, and then she she did that. Um, I would say that she did not go the oh. like Kristen Stewart route of like I'm going to be in this really popular thing, and then I can just like do whatever the fuck I want. Right. No, she was also she was in Divergent and Fault in Our Stars like the same year. Oh, um, right. I forgot about. And I remember this because the actor who plays her brother in one movie is her love interest in the other one. <laughs> and everyone was like, "This is oh, such yeah. a good Angela Elgort just being in things. Oh yeah. Woof, Angela Elgort. Ooh, <laughs> canceled. R.I.P. R.I.P. Angela Elgort. Um. <sighs> Yeah, it's bad out there. Um, but yeah, it's great. And it is it is great. I will say also this is um, because I associate. So Haley Steinfeld, in my personal Haley Steinfeld experience, she was um, in True Grit and then disappeared and then came back with I Love Myself, her single about masturbation. Yeah. Um, always, always stand a single about masturbation. Um, but was in Taylor Swift's Girl Squad, um, which always felt a little random to me. But I was like, all right, that seems good. Anyway, it's so like. Part of me, because she's then associated with Taylor, I'm like, oh, of course, like you had secret artistic talent that I forgot about. Like, Taylor <laughs> doesn't know how to pick them. <laughs> like, Why is Taylor just supporting her music career? This music is whatever, but I'm like, oh, it's because you're a good actress. <laughs> uh, I did see her perform at Jingle Ball in like, what year was it? 2000. 16 2017 she was like a last minute addition because sean mendez had strep throat i think or sean mendez had laryngitis or like somebody else like right. was supposed to perform and then they're like here's Haley steinfeld instead yeah. um that's the same right and she gave a very energetic performance but she was not even trying to pretend that she was actually like singing live on stage like the backing yeah. was playing and she was just like having fun and i was like well at least you've just committed to like you're just gonna like right you're dancing you yeah <laughs> i actually think i might have also seen her at a jingle ball because I, I saw um i went to one one direction's last american show was at a jingle ball in la and so i got someone to pay me to write about it and like get me tickets and uh <laughs> one of my early uh, you're an evil genius but then also it was really wild um, because it was like uh, I was in the press section and like no one else was really like, coming to do press. So people would like it was like empty, basically. Um, but I was like there the whole night and it was me. And then like the people like nearest behind me were a bunch of like 10 year old girls. And I was just like drinking whiskey by myself. <laughs> I was like, none of this is correct. <laughs> but I saw One Direction's Last American Show. So whatever. Anyway, sorry to take us down. So. <laughs> that's okay um niall performed solo at the jingle ball where i saw Haley, and he was like i have one song and he played it and then all like the stadium of young girls was like bring back niall more niall it's <laughs> like he said he only had one song right like uh, that's it you guys he's working on it <laughs> Oh, Niall Horn, I love you. <laughs> anyway, Emily Dickinson. Emily Dickinson did not know about One Direction. No. Um, no, she didn't. No. No. <laughs> um, what do you think about Finn Jones in season two? I don't know who that is. <laughs> uh, Sam Bowles. I was going to say he plays Sam. Yeah. Yes. I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Um, I think that I'm so, uh, the storyline feels so close to me that I like, can't even really think about him as an actor. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, especially like, God, 
uh, you know, it's shitty men in media week <laughs> this week as every week. <laughs> um, and, you know, I, yeah, I think a lot about the like weird relationships that I've had with men who are supposed to be editing me <laughs> and who like, quote unquote, recognized my talent. Um, and and then who and then who when you sort of like threaten anything that they don't want threatened get really mad at you and are like what's wrong with you it's like um buddy I, right now with the um the benefit of a little bit of age and, and distance and hindsight i can look back on a lot of those relationships and be like uh i did not make that up and i did not really make that happen like you were a very willing participant to threaten something that you cared about um anyway uh I, yeah, I mean, I think he's a great foil, actually, really, I think is what I would say about that whole situation is like, uh, and I think he does do a good job of playing it right on the edge where it's like, you understand the way in which like, he doesn't even have to really gaslight you, he can just sort of say a bunch of ambiguous things, and you'll go ahead and gaslight yourself about them. <laughs> oh, God. Yes. Yeah. Ben, what do you think? What are, What's your take on him? Um... I think he was really well cast for the character. I came in a little bit skeptical um, in that thus far his greatest hits have been being the Marjorie's gay brother in Game of Thrones and then being Iron Fist uh, on Netflix. And um, I... Uh, there's like something about his i don't know aura that is like <laughs> he just seems a little bit annoying and so i was like oh this guy i don't know um but i think that that works for me for this exactly. role i think that did is a little bit like no when you first see him it's not like he's like oh he's so hot he's like <laughs> fine looking and got like a mildly sleazy vibe but he's like the kind of guy who really gets by on like yeah being sort of like oh no i care about your talent like i want to mentor you you know i'm so interesting and you're like oh he's interesting only i see how interesting he is and he's the only person who's interested in me like who understands how interesting i am and i was like no he's just a sleazy motherfucker like everyone else yeah yeah he pulls off like that sleazy motherfucker thing just uh unfortunately well too well too well like i can't concentrate on the performance because i'm just like too busy having feelings yeah they do um i think that that character is well written um as you said the way that he doesn't even have to gaslight you like you'll do it yourself um i think i had there are like moments where i feel like i had that experience as an audience member where i was like oh, like, maybe I was wrong. Like, maybe he's... Right. And then I was like, no, wait. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Where, like, it, yeah, they, right, even on the show, you're sort of like, oh, maybe it is, like, you know, he is a good guy who doesn't want to cheat on his wife and just, like, is... Con- and it's like, no. No, he's exactly as sleazy as you thought. <laughs> um... But, yeah, but it's, it, you know, it. but I think, it, yeah, it puts you right in that place of being you know, in your early twenties and just like not knowing, um, you know, not knowing and and not being certain and not being even sure how to ask, or if you ask, like, is that, did you do it wrong? Um, I don't know. I mean, I loved also, I I just loved that the sort of confrontation between the two of them was at the opera, right? This moment when like Emily is like witnessing other people's art and like feeling so much like the best things about her. Right. And he's just, like, fucking shitting on her the whole time. And it's, like, this is, yeah, felt deeply evocative of, like, how young women learn that it's dangerous for them to have creative ambitions and feelings, and especially both those things at the same time. It was just, like, oh, fuck. Ugh, yeah. Um, but I'm also curious, uh, you know, season two, right, has been very, like, very light on Emily and Sue interactions. I mean, and in part, it's just, like, that's the tension. But I'm curious about how you felt about their relationship in season one, like that sort of de- depiction of queerness, especially in a historical context. Um, I liked it in season one. I appreciated that, like, 
because if I recall, Sue and Emily kiss in the very first episode. Um, yeah. And I feel like a lot of other shows would have tried to like drag that out um, mm-hmm. in a way that would have been like very queer baby um, yeah. before like actually delivering on anything. And so I appreciate that they are like pretty upfront from the get go about like what kind of relationship um, Sue and Emily have. I think Sue is an interesting character in that, like, she, I think of all the characters on the show, feels the most, um, I don't know, mysterious is not quite the right word, but, like, um, as a character, I think she, like, plays her hand pretty close to the vest for the most part. Like, I think we get Mm -hmm. some comedy from her in the first season, like largely around the fact that her entire family is dead um, and the sort of awkwardness that that creates. Um, But she doesn't really have the same level of like humor that I think some of the other characters on the show have. Um, And so there are definitely like I know that she cares about Emily, but it was definitely hard to tell. I don't know, like to what um, I guess, like how she actually feels. I think some of this is also like it just gets even more um, opaque in season two. And so I think some of that yeah. is where my feeling comes from. Um, I think they are kind of playing with the like. Uh oh, they're just good friends thing that is um I mean how we as I've now learned like what we all what historians said about Emily Dickinson until like very recently when they were like, no, actually she was uh involved with her best friend slash brother's wife. Um <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um yeah, I feel like I probably have more things to say, but the more words I say, the less coherent the thoughts are. So, <laughs> sorry, I put you on the spot with that. No, one. it's okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, no, I totally agree. I love, I love that they in the first, you know, uh, episode, like whatever else happens after this, like, you know, we wanted to be clear, this is like a sexual love. Um, yeah, it's a sexual and romantic, and like we're not shying away from that, and like we're not we're willing to take a stand on this also right like this is what this was um yeah i mean it's a yeah it's wild also man being in love with your brother's wife just seems rough i actually i kind of liked the uh pseudo love triangle of austin and emily and sue in that like um i feel like it brings out the characters in a specific way of like sue's only Mm -hmm. marrying austin because she like needs (laughs) a family she needs someone with money um she needs a husband yeah and she's practical about that right in a way that um that emily is not emily's just like i'm not gonna do it and it's that also i actually i think this is not so much in the second season but in the first season i think there's kind of interesting class stuff floating there where it's like emily can just be like well i'm not doing this because she's from a rich family and sue's like i don't think you understand like if i want to live i gotta marry a dude yeah yeah and so sue is like being very practical and she's like well austin's not an asshole and he's interested in me so like that makes sense um and austin he even says like that he was interested in Sue because Sue was the only girl who was not yeah. interested in him. Um, <laughs> but he like wants to win her over and he like can't compete with the relationship that she has with Emily. Um, yeah. And Emily sort of oscillates between being threatened by Sue and Austin getting married and feeling like well i'm gonna be the most important relationship that she could ever have so right 
you don't matter <laughs> right um, like you yeah you'll never know you'll and i mean and that's a, the problem is she's right <laughs> poor austin <laughs> so cute so dumb yeah i mean how did you feel about their relationship um how did i feel about it that's a good question yeah i mean yeah i think like i said i really i appreciate the commitment to it right this sort of like we're not gonna we're not gonna hint at this we're not gonna gesture we're not gonna like say well we'll never know uh and i think especially like i think also part of the reason that I like so didn't respond to this sort of like version of Emily Dickinson that was presented to me in elementary school was that it was a very like bloodless version of her and very sort of like de-sexed right it was like oh this woman is like a hermit who lives in an attic and I was like well I that is so not me (laughs) right um like I just why would I ever care about this woman who like only thought bees were interesting and so to be like no like this Emily Dickinson wants to fuck I think we joke about like you know uh, you know, all the like CW reboots of Archie comics where it's like, now they fuck. <laughs> it's like, I don't, that, they, the Archie comics were already pretty horny, but, but I think it makes a real difference. It's meaningful when they do it with Emily Dickinson, right? Yeah. Um, so in that way, just period, having her like be a sexually desirous person is like meaningful and get, you know, really changed the way that I perceived her poems at least. Um, and then beyond that, to have that be a queer desire, right? I think it's always exciting when like, yeah, like women wanting to fuck each other is not portrayed as, you know, it is romantic, but it's also like, it's just sexual desire. Right. Um, like, and it, it's, you know, it's intense and it's physical and it's all those things. Um, yeah. I don't know. I like, I, yeah, I love it. I love the way it's portrayed, but it's been very, I follow um, Elena Smith on Twitter. Uh, the creator of the show. Right. And, um, she like tweets apparently people tweeted her constantly being like why aren't emily and sue in any scenes together like why aren't they kissing (laughs) (laughs) and while i'm sympathetic to that it's something i missed from the show because it wasn't sort of a primary driver for me because as a you know it's not something i like uh you know it's not something it's because i'm not queer it's not something that i like necessarily feel lacking in media in the same way um i'm very happy to have it like i love it but it's not you know i don't know i'm like to me, I'm like, oh my god, like more about the romance between an author and fame. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the hot shit for me. <laughs> but yeah, and I think I do think you're right. I think that like Sue is given they they do a good job of giving everyone in the cast something to do, but they give Sue a little less. And I think it's a little bit like the other characters sort of like have their own lives. We mostly see Sue or feel like we see Sue from Emily's perspective. Um, and I do think the actress who plays her does a really good job of like, you know, making something out of that position, her sort of default position of like self-protectiveness and like, I'm not going to talk about it or tell you what's going on with me. Yeah. I do hope that we, uh, and by we, I mean (laughs) the people making television, um, figure out a little bit more what like queerness in a historical context looks like like i think dickinson has done it well and also there is an element of like certainly we can all have our own emily dickinson story in our head um and the show is you know not a biopic but because she was a real person there are like certain limits on like what is likely to happen in that relationship um and I like I thought about this a lot watching Bridgerton um which the racial politics of that show don't make any sense um <laughs> in that it's like in episode 3 they're like but did you know that you're black um yeah, you know they make no sense <laughs> it's like we're not going to talk about race until we're like but wait also it still applies at it at the <laughs> I will avoid getting into yeah, that no, it's, um, I, I don't know. I feel bad about how little I liked Bridgerton because, again, it's a thing that's like brought so much joy to so many people at a time when joy is scarce. And like, always like, don't want to hate on women coded media, but it just, it, I, I'm not a romance reader, and the, the adaptation didn't do it for me. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, there are like things that I liked about it, um, but not enough to like 
particularly because I had some friends who were like very into it and like sold it really hard, which is why I watched it. And mm. I was like, I don't. I think maybe you over sold it or like read into this more than I am willing to. But like in watching that show, I was like, okay, so you can imagine a world where this isn't a story just about white people, but you can't imagine that there are like real queer stories in it. Like, yeah. And the sad thing in that case is like, it's not even a can't, it's a won't like, it's just like, well, that's not what, you know, this type of romance reader wants. And yeah. Yeah. But yeah, no, I think you're right. Like expanding our imaginings in various ways and also right like we're still waiting for the like i don't know queer historical with a happy ending yes yeah is there anything else on the dickinson (laughs) front that um we haven't talked about that you want to get into no i don't think so um i just really love it i like I'm really happy to talk to you about it because I haven't talked to anyone about it. Um, <laughs> like, and also part of me is like, I think the part of the thing of the show is just like a really singular pleasure. Like, it's just delightful to consume. And I'm like, talking about it is like fun for us. And I'm glad we're doing it. And also, if you haven't seen it yet, like, this is totally not the point. Go watch it. <laughs> like, <laughs> then come yeah. back and talk about it. But, like, it's it's just... I guess also, yeah, to me, like, a lot of the joy of the show kind of, like, defies analysis. I'm like, I just really fun to watch. And I love that. That's so, that's the best. There's so little of that. Yeah. And I think that is the, it does come out of the, like, the weirdness and, like, the joyfulness of the show makes it, like, difficult to describe, but, like, very easy to consume yes yeah totally um i look forward to it coming out every friday which is like there are so few especially in a time when i'm like does the day of the week matter like not really (laughs) um i'm like oh but friday there's a new dickinson episode out (laughs) oh i mean not just that like when i watch dickinson i like get in bed turn off the lights light a candle have a little whiskey like it's like a religious <laughs> ritual for me that's beautiful man i've been doing it wrong you have been not not to be rude tell us what you've been doing wrong <laughs> <laughs> well it's thursday right now that we're recording so we've got another episode coming out tomorrow and i will be sure to watch it uh in a more uh luxurious fashion yeah get get you know channel your inner goth i'm just saying like (laughs) howl at the moon a little bit Uh, it's time oh i'm just realizing that the last conversation we had was also um about oh yeah gothics that's right i'm a way way different gothic like that's like a, a hardcore violent goth like yeah that lee bardugo's goth is way different than emily dickinson's sort of like teen, teen goth like, uh, you know yeah different orders yeah, of magnitude goth. but uh yeah oh, oh my god also i don't remember what maggie rogers song they used but they used a maggie rogers song in um an episode whatever it is like season two episode of dickinson it was just i was like man this show just gets me oh (laughs) the music choices are just impeccable they're phenomenal it's so good it's just so good (laughs) (laughs) okay um do you have any recommendations for fans of dickinson yeah, I mean, I gave it away way early, right? But Emily of New Moon, you gotta read Emily of New Moon. I'm telling you, like, it's just, it's it's very different in a lot of ways, but that like those are the friggin' vibes. Um, and I just, I yeah, and and they're like free. You can read them for free on the internet, I think, because they're out of copyright. Um, but then I'm I've been trying to also think of like stuff that has that just like super singular, you know. And I do like this, like I was saying this cartoon show that I was watching. Um. B and the adventures of B and Puppy Cat, uh, super delightful, super surreal, um, and weird. Okay, this is kind of a weird one, um, but Letterkenny, 
mm. which is a show about uh, people in a small rural town in Canada. Um, truly on the surface, like, couldn't have less to do with Dickinson. It's about, like, some fucking farmer bros and, um, <laughs> like, but it is, it's, like, it's very cerebral. The dialogue is very fast and very punny. It's it's similar ju- only in that it is clearly the product, product of someone's hyper-specific sort of antic creative mind. And it is sui gen- generis. I don't know how you say that. Like, it's its own genre. It's just, like, there's nothing like Laddercutty in the same way there's nothing like Dickinson. Um, and it's so, it's so, so, so different. But it's, if, if what you're, if, if you're, what you're interested in is sort of, like, watching someone get to be as weird as they want to be with a fantastic soundtrack, it's Laddercutty. Laddercutty after Dickinson. Okay. Yeah, those are my recs. I'm excited about those. Um, yeah. I had... At first, I had a hard time coming up with recommendations because I was like, but what could you possibly, like, compare? It's so singular. <laughs> like, what is there? It's literally uh, like it. <laughs> um, I did manage to come up with a couple of things, the first of which I feel like is actually a pretty solid uh, comparison in that it is a historical story about... Uh, young adults um and there's queerness and a happy ending even um i know uh it's a ya novel the gentleman's guide to vice and virtue oh yeah yeah Um, i haven't read it it's been highly recommended to me by many people um i after years of like seeing it at the bookstore and being like that cover's cool (laughs) um (laughs) i finally got it i actually got the audiobook from uh li- the library because i'm now obsessed with the libby app and mm, um mm-hmm. it was a really wonderful audiobook i don't listen to many but i was just sort of on a whim picked that one up um and the sequel which i am working on right now the lady's guide to petticoats and piracy um mm-hmm. also delightful so um those i think have um many similar elements to Dickinson so I'd recommend those um in terms of weird surreal like writer things um Her Body and Other Parties by Carmen Maria Machado which I can't I haven't read and it's just my greatest shame oh it's so weird and like great but like deeply deeply weird um my favorite part is a part that a lot of other people do not like which is the like <laughs> novella in the center of it that is made up of summaries of Law and Order SUV episodes. Ooh. That just, it's so long. <laughs> I had to like tell a friend, I was like, it's really long. It will seem like it's not worth it, but it is worth it. You just have to read them all. Um, <laughs> and they're like, just like no. single or like two sentence episode summaries. And at first they sound like real episodes of Law and Order SVU. And then they just get mm-hmm. progressively weirder. Um, <laughs> and apparently Carmen Maria Machado wrote it while she was like very ill, like had an insane fever and was watching Law and Order SVU episodes, which Ooh. makes a lot of sense. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. And yeah, that right. Yeah. Um, so definitely recommend that. And then this third thing has really nothing in common with Dickinson other than that it is deeply weird and I really liked it. Um, it was a Netflix show called The OA. Oh, I watched the first season of that. Um, yeah, I really liked it. And, um, it was also a show that I think I started watching while I was depressed and just like spent all of my time consuming it. Um, mm-hmm. And it got two seasons and then it got canceled. And I feel very upset about that still, even though it's been like quite a while at this point. Um, (laughs) And it got like very meta at the end, um, which in a way maybe has some, I mean, Dickinson's not meta per se, but it does have this sort of like, I'm aware that you're watching this uh, kind of. Yeah, it is. There's some meta. There's some, there's (laughs) winky. It's definitely winky. Yeah. Um, yeah, so those are things that I would recommend to, um, to fans of Dickinson. Um, 
Zan, thank you for joining me again to talk about weird goth girl shit. (laughs) (laughs) So my pleasure. (laughs) This show is produced by me, Chelsea Bergen. The music is I Dunno by Grapes, licensed under a Creative Commons by license. You can find the show on Instagram at Casually Obsessed Podcast and the show notes for this episode at casuallyobsessedpodcast.com. You can support the show by leaving a rating and review on iTunes and by recommending it to your casually obsessed friends.